0: chapter 14 of what the white race may learn from the indian by george wharton james this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter 14 the indian and some luxuries most city men regard a shampoo as a city luxury of modern times except of course for the rich who could always have what they desire Yet the shampoo is more common with some Indians than with us, and they enjoy it oftener than we do. The Indian's wife takes the root of the amole, macerates it, and then beats it up and down in a bowl of water until a most delicious and soft lather results. And then her liege lord stoops over the bowl, and she shampoos his long hair and scalp with vigor, neatness, skill, and dispatch. I have been operated upon by the best adepts in London, Paris, and New York, and I truthfully affirm that a white man has much to learn in the way of skillful manipulation, effective rubbing of the scalp, and delicious silkiness of the hair, if he knows no other than such shampooing as I received. Another so-called luxury of our civilization is an everyday matter with the Indians of the Southwest. That is the Russo-Turkish bath. The first time I enjoyed this luxury with the Indians was on one of my visits to the Havasupai tribe. I had been received into membership in the tribe several years before, but had always felt a delicacy about asking to be invited to participate in this function. But one day I said to the old medicine man, as he was going down to Tehorwo, how is it that you have never invited me to go into Tahalwa with you?" My question surprised him. He quickly answered, "'Why should I invite you to your own? The sweat-bath is as much yours as it is mine.' "'Then,' said I, "'I will go with you now.' The bath-house consisted of a small willow frame, some six or eight feet in diameter, which at the time of using is covered with the Navajo blankets, etc. to make it heat and steam-proof. A bed of clean willows was spread out for the sweaters to sit upon, and a place left vacant for the red-hot rocks. As soon as all was prepared, I was invited to take my seat. One Indian followed on one side, and the medicine man on the other. Then one of the outer Indians handed in six or eight red-hot rocks, and the flap of the cover was let down, and the bath was fairly on. Directly the shaman began to sing a sacred song, which recited the fact that Taholwa was a gift of the good god Tashopa, and was for the purpose of purifying the body from all evil. As soon as the song ended, we were all sweating freely. But when the flap was opened, it was not to let us out, but to receive more hot rocks. As we sang a second song, the heat grew more penetrating, so that the words seemed to have real meaning. Our petition was that, "'The heat of Tohoa might enter our eyes, our ears, our nostrils, our mouths,' etc., each organ being named at the end of the line of petition the song comprised a great long string of organs some of which i had never heard of before by this time sweat was pouring off from our bodies but the flap was opened only to receive more rocks at the third time a bowl of water was handed in to my companion which i was reaching for in order to enjoy a drink when to my horror and surprise he sprinkled the water over the red-hot rocks. The result was an instantaneous cloud of steam, which seemed to set my lips and nostrils on fire, and absolutely to choke me and prevent my breathing. Yet the two Indians began another song, so I determined to stick it out and stand it as long as I could. Of course, in a few moments, the intense heat of the steam was lost and then i was able to join in the song at its close the same process of steaming was repeated and then i sprang out and dived headlong into the cool not cold waters of the flowing havasu where for a long time i swam and enjoyed the delicious sensations with which my body was filled then after a rub down with clean clear clayey mud and another plunge i lay in the sun on a bed of willows listening to the indians tell stories and i can truthfully say i never felt so clean in my life this bath is taken by thousands of the southwest indians once a week as a matter of religion so that as a fact while their clothes are ragged and dirty and they themselves appear to be dirty they are really clean it must be confessed on the other hand that too many americans value the appearance of cleanliness more than the reality they would far rather appear clean even if they were not than be clean and appear dirty it is better to combine both reality and appearance but for my own sake if i had to choose between the two i believe i would rather be clean than only appear clean civilized man for centuries has used hot baths of various kinds for remedial and healing purposes throughout the world wherever hot springs are found men and women congregate in large numbers palatial hotels are built bathhouses established and an army of hotel keepers physicians, nurses, masseurs, and bath operators organized. Some go to the baths just as they do any other fashionable thing, or in order to mingle with the gay and fashionable throng. Other idlers go purely for the pleasure they gain from such associations, while still others go for the health they long for, the strength and vigor they have lost and there can be no question that they often gain it. In spite of the fashionable doctors who care less for the health of their patients than they do for their own fame and pockets, in spite of the physical ills that come from the altogether inappropriate diet of the hotel dining rooms, in spite of the excitement of balls and parties, receptions and routs common at such places, and in spite of the injurious influences of the gaming tables too often maintained the use of the waters is often beneficial to a number of the patients were they to use the waters rationally live hygienically avoid all stimulating foods and drinks and religiously refrain from all unnatural excitements there is no question but that the use of the hot waters the hot mud packs, and the like, would give health to many thousands who now derive but little benefit from them. From whom did the white race learn the use of the hot bath, the mud bath, and the like? He learned it from the Indian, and if he would study the present methods of the Indians, he would find many details connected with these baths that he might learn to his great advantage when the indian goes to the bath he makes of it an almost religious ceremony in one of the illustrations an old indian shaman is telling to the younger ones the things they should heed before going into the Tahalwa or sweat bath the frame of which as yet uncovered is close at hand the hot waters that bubble out from the interior of the earth he regards as the special gifts of the gods he prays that he may not use these gifts unworthily just as the mohammedan believes that the desert is the garden of allah and that no one must walk in it who is sinful until he is first asked for forgiveness so does the indian believe that the waters of healing will turn to his injury if he does not use them in the right spirit would it not be well if we the superior race approached this good gift of god in like manner the natural simplicity of the indian at the baths also offers a good lesson to us instead of seeking for gaiety frivolity fashion and the means of pampering his appetite he goes to the baths of nature resolved upon quiet and restfulness as far as possible he seeks to prepare his mind beforehand that the physical means used will be beneficial in other words though he is a rude untutored savage so we say he has a clearer conception of the effect the mind has upon the body in real practical healing than has a large part of his civilized brothers and sisters as a rule we go to a physician or to a sanitarium or to baths i mean those of us who are sick and desire health first of all without any other thoughts than i am sick to go here may do me good i hope it will instead of preparing our minds beforehand by thoughtfulness getting ourselves into the proper mental attitude to be helped we leave it to chance to the surroundings to the doctor and thus often fail to get the benefit we might have received we carry our business cares our family worries our money getting with us and thus defeat the end for which we go nor is that all when we get there we want all the comforts of a home in other words we must be assured that we have a bedroom which we can lock up at night a bedstead with a mattress as soft and unhealthy as the ones we regularly sleep on stuffy closets where we can hang our clothes and the rest the indian finds his bedroom under the stars he puts the invalid flat on the ground a sheepskin perhaps between him and the earth but that is all when will the superior white race learn that rejuvenation of the body comes quicker to those who shed their civilization, forswear their home comforts, quit their indulgence in fixed-up dishes, refrain from social frivolities, commonly called duties, and, first and foremost, after throwing away all the cares and worries that come of being so highly civilized, Get to a place where it is possible to sleep out of doors on the hard ground, protected of course, as the Indians are. Get into the woods, on to the hills, down in the canyons, out in the desert, Take a roll of blankets along, and no matter what the weather, learn to sleep on the bosom of Mother Earth out of doors and if the region is one near hot springs or mud baths all the better make it for the time being your home ah how wise is the indian in his choice of a home i have before referred to this but i cannot help writing of it again home it is not a place of unrest to him where it requires the labor of wife and daughter or a host of servants to keep it in order where polished furniture polished floors polished doors, polished mirrors, keep one forever with wiping cloth in hand, removing the marks of careless fingers, where bric-a-brac is accumulated and piled everywhere to the shattering of nerves, if the children get near it, or careless visitors happen to call, where social demands are so great that children are relegated to the care of servants, where brothers and sisters scarce have time to know each other and husbands and wives meet semi-occasionally no it is not a home of this kind to most indians everywhere is home provided there is a little shade water and grass for his burrow or pony in the mountains where he can shelter under an overhanging rock or in the forest where he has a roof of emerald SUPPORTED BY GREAT PILLARS OF PINE OR COTTONWOOD OR SYCAMORE, THERE IS A HOME. IN THE DESERT, WHERE THE ROOF IS MILLIONS OF MILES HIGH, DECORATED WITH SUNS AND MOONS AND STARS AND COMETS AND METEORS AND MILKY WAY AND COUNTLESS NEBULI, AND THE WALLS ARE BOUNDED ON THE EAST BY THE RISING SUN AND ON THE WEST BY THE SETTING SUN, AND GOD'S OWN LABORATORIES MAKE NEW, FRESH, PURE AIR EVERY MOMENT, THERE IS HOME. THE SAN FRANCISCO DISASTER TAUGHT THOUSANDS OF PEOPLE THE HEALTHFULNESS OF THE OUTDOOR LIFE. PEOPLE WHO HAD BEEN AILING FOR YEARS, PUNY CHILDREN, ANEMIC YOUTHS AND MAIDENS, DYSPEPTIC parents all picked up appetite and health when compelled to live in the parks and on the streets let us heed the lesson let us follow the example of the indian and be more simple more natural let us relegate to the museum the collecting of curios and bric-a-brac and the thousand and one things that so crowd our houses as to make museums rather than homes of them I do not suppose it is necessary that I should say that in our civilization we cannot literally do as the Indian does in this matter. That is not my thought. And what I would urge is that we live more simply, and that, like the Indian, we get out of doors more, instead of housing ourselves the more as we become more civilized. And that in the arrangement and accumulations of our home we make personal health comfort and happiness the most important considerations rather than display and to win the approval or envy of our neighbors but to return to the hot springs the indian has always used them he also learned and bequeathed to us the knowledge that mud is a useful therapeutic agent the Yumas, Mojaves, and others who live near the banks of the Colorado River are in the habit of regularly plastering down their hair and scalp with thick black mud. They go where it is clean and fresh, washed down by the rushing waters of the mighty Colorado through the great canyons, and rubbing it well into their hair, they cover it over with a cloth tied over the scalp and go on about their daily work they keep the hair thus covered with mud for a day or two and then wash it off and give the scalp a thorough cleansing what is the result whether the fact be a result from the use of the mud or not it is a fact that these river indians have long glossy black hair free from all disease and their scalps are as healthy as the hair they have no dandruff no falling out of the hair and do not need any hair tonic or dye the mud contains enough of the finely ground sand commingled with the softer silt to make a healthful mixture for gently exciting the scalp when the rubbing off and cleansing process takes place and covering the hair as well as the scalp with the mud and allowing it to dry on demands that the hair shall be well rubbed as well as the skin the effect is to clean the hair thoroughly and who knows but that the excitement generated by thus rubbing the hair as well as the scalp has something to do in promoting the healthful flow of the elements required for hair nutrition be that as it may i know the fact which is that these indians men as well as women have hair long black glossy reaching down to their waists and they attribute its healthfulness to the regular use of the mud pack and rub now while we may not care to pack the hair in mud we can certainly utilize the idea i have done so for years i often give my scalp and hair a mud bath and it is both agreeable and exhilarating and i had the assurance a few months ago from one of the leading scalp specialists of the east that my scalp was in an absolutely healthful condition one of the very few found in such condition in the large eastern metropolis the indian also uses mud and by this i mean the clear pure uncontaminated earth and sandy mixtures found in the rivers of the desert west for wounds there is little doubt but that he learned this from the animals who has not seen a dog after a fight in which he got worsted run and throw himself into a mud puddle many years ago about twenty I read an account of a battle between a wild cat and a dog, and the writer, who saw the conflict, told how the dog went and bathed himself in mud thereafter. The brief sketch made such an impression on me that I knew just where to find it, and I have hunted it up and am now going to copy it for the benefit of my readers. It will help explain why the Indian does the same thing. He has observed the animals bathing in the mud, when wounded, as this dog did. The dog has won the battle, but he has got some ugly scars along his sides and flank. Observe, that overheated as he is, he does not rush into that clear stream. He takes his bath in that shallow spring with a soft mud bottom. Note how he plasters himself laying the wounded side underneath and then sitting down on his haunches buries all the wounded parts in the ooze that mud has medicinal properties the dog knows it no physician could make so good a poultice for the wounds of a cat's claws as this dog has found for himself pray if you have been clawed in that way by either feline or feminine would you have found anything at the bottom of your book philosophy so remedial as this dog is found?" The Indian's use of mud, therefore, is seen to be an inheritance as the result of his observation of the animals. Since the time I heard of the dog and wildcat fight, I have had occasion to watch the Indians many times. I have used the mud with them, and always with good results and if when some four and a half years ago i was bitten on the thumb by a rattlesnake and for a week was supposed to be hovering between life and death i had thought enough to have done as the indians do gone and put my hand and arm in a mud bath at the side of a stream or at the bottom of a shallow spring i should have fared as well as i did and perhaps better though i had two skilled physicians an accomplished professor and a devoted nurse to care for me and when i was supposed to be well again months afterward i found that the deadly poison had in some way lodged in the lining of the stomach so that at times it would cause a nervous and muscular disturbance that made me suffer intense agony i then recalled the use of mud by my indian friends and i hied me away as speedily as i could to the hot mud baths of paso robles in california there the sulphur water at a temperature of over a hundred and ten degrees fahrenheit comes bubbling into a great wooden tank filled with the soft velvety mud black as ink of the tule marsh into this tank i stepped and gradually worked my way into the mud lying down in it and wriggling and working my body until i was as near covered as i could be i brought great armfuls of the hot soft and soothing nature poultice over my stomach and body and then lay there as long as it was wise to do so what mattered it that i was blacker than a negro when i came out Two minutes with a bucket and a hose, and I was cleaner than ever. One week of these baths, and I lost the poison, never again to return. I never think of Paso Robles and the mud baths there without a deep sense of gratitude that some of us at least have learned how to utilize some good things that the Indian has taught us. End of chapter 14